In the words of London Business School Professor Gary Hamill, you can't outrun the future if you don't see it coming. So, when we consider the world of work, what are the forces that will shape the employment market and how can businesses prepare for what will come next? I'm Hamish Coots and you're listening to Talent Talks, brought to you by SEEK. Well, welcome to Talent Talks. We're coming to you today from the Seek Future Series under overcast skies here in downtown Richmond, I should say. Uh, and I'm very, very honoured to have Michael McQueen with me. Hello, Michael. Hey there. Good to be here. You're very shortly about to take to the stage and deliver a keynote yeah. address. Uh, titled today, Preparing Now for What's Next. What are you uh, going to be talking about today? Well, the future. Like, what's the future going to hold for us as individuals, for organisations, for society more broadly? Or what are the key trends to keep an eye on? And essentially, how do you gear up for those trends? Um, and so practical, really honest conversation. You know, yep. Let's just speak directly to what's going to happen in the next right. few years rather than dance around it. So it'll be a lot of fun. There's a lot of talk about the future of work, yeah. but is it really that far into the future or is, or is it really <laughs> the issues and trends that you're seeing and you're going to be talking about it? Are yeah. they almost upon us now? They're upon us now. They're sort of, in, in some cases, they're, they're emerging trends. So they're things we're seeing early stages of, but they'll ramp up massively in the next few years. So you look at, for instance, the the impact of artificial intelligence already. Mm. So DeepSense.ai, for in, that's a great indication of what's going to happen in the years ahead. So this is an application that allows potential hirers to scan the social media behavior, um, what they've liked, what they've viewed of potential candidates. Right. And so, I mean, it's a bit creepy. I mean, yeah. the ability for you to essentially spy on people you're looking to hire. Um, another one, Crystal Knows, is another very interesting um, app that allows you to essentially get a sense of what someone's like. That It takes sentiment analysis and overlays that with um, a personality profiling. Okay. And it's very interesting because it gives you an insight into potential people and how they'll be as a cultural fit for your organization. So these are technologies that are already there, yeah. but they're going to become commonplace in the next few years. And some of the privacy questions are interesting. Yeah. Um, but certainly some of this technology, it's there, but it's going to take center stage. In, in terms of, I guess, getting and ascertaining people's social media behavior, generally most people, when they're using social media, it is outside of the workplace. Uh-huh. What you're saying is that actually people are going to be starting to look at this to yeah. Dictate how they're going to be within the workforce. Yeah, absolutely. And not just that, looking at historical data. So, for instance, going through everything someone has shared on Facebook or Instagram for years. Yes. And trying to gauge whether they'll be a good cultural fit or not for an organisation. And yeah. so, yeah, that the, the privacy implications of that, I, I don't know about you, but I've said stuff five, seven years yeah. ago that I, yeah. I wouldn't say it today. Not that same way. Yes. But if you're being held to the standard of today, you know, for something you said seven years ago, that's, that's, that's mm. awkward. That's uncomfortable. That's probably unreasonable, but that's where we're heading. So some of the technology that means that we can scan that very quickly in a way we couldn't before. Wow. The activities, the postings of a 15 year old versus a 25 year old uh-huh, out of university are, are massively yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. yeah, great. Some of the trends that you're looking at, um, I'd like to start with automation. Yeah. Um, because obviously that's a really, really hot topic for HR and talent acquisition. What role will automash, automation play? And is it already having an effect? Yeah, well, uh, certainly the, t- the technologies we talked about before are good examples of AI being used in the yeah. talent or the recruitment process. It'll play more of a role, there's no doubt. But I think the question we've got to ask is what do we want to let um, AI do and how much do we want to keep as a human function of talent mm. sourcing so for instance you look at Amazon's experience just in the last few weeks where they had to shut down an AI bot that was helping them with the recruitment process because it was essentially had embedded in it unconscious bias against female applicants Right, and they didn't even know about it and they realized a number of months after using this that actually it was it was essentially applying a bias against females and that to shut it down because they weren't aware of just how flawed the technology was. So to what extent do we want to outsource everything mm. that in the past as humans we've done that uses intuition and judgment to technology? Because I think the role 
for people, leaders and talent managers and talent sources or recruiters is that a lot of it is human stuff. It is yes. it, it uses those uniquely human skills like intuition. You know, it's not listening to what someone says in an interview, but really listening to what they mean. Mm. And algorithms can't do that. Can't do that. Yeah. Um, and so I think that some of the gut feel stuff and the judgment stuff we need to preserve in this space and not be too rushed to say AI can do all of it because it can do a lot, but it can't do all that we're going to see um, that is going to unfold in the next few years. In terms of the rise of automation and, and what effect that has on skills, yep. and the demand for skills in the workplace <laughs> yeah. as well, I think that's a fascinating. I'd love you to unpack that a little yeah. bit for us as well. What do you what do you think will happen? Well, it was interesting. Even this morning, flying down from Sydney um, in the Qantas magazine in that interview with Kerry O'Brien. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of these very candid, very thoughtful interviews with him. And he said his biggest concern for the years ahead when asked that question was the jobs his grandchildren will have. And I think for a lot of us, it is front of mind, this idea of where will the jobs be if AI continues to take roles in the years ahead. And so I think our discussion about having high-skilled versus low-skilled roles is is naive. And right. it's, okay. it's not just about having high or low skills. It's often about the type of skills. So mm-hmm. interestingly, in an age where we're all frothy and excited about STEM, I reckon we're missing the point. It's not about STEM. STEM mm. is of some value, but if you look at the skills that will really put you in, in good stead in an age dominated by AI, it's going to be creativity. Yes. It's going to be empathy, intuition, judgment, the uniquely human stuff. And so some of the professions it follows, the professions that will be most at risk, will be some that you would never imagine being automated because they are professions that require you to be incredibly intelligent but the work is is transactional or repetitive. Like, what are some of those? What? So in the legal sector, yeah. accounting and finance, um, journalism in some cases, mm. anything that's just churning stuff out that you have to be smart to do it, but it doesn't require a lot of flexibility. Right. So some of the transactional churning stuff out sort of roles that in the past we thought were pretty safe because you had to be smart, smart to do it, technology would take many of those roles. Um, interesting point that you raised there around arts, etc. Yeah. And almost, the I guess, the revolution of fine arts because yeah. automation will certainly not be able to do that. And yeah. interesting, your point of view, but particularly some of those when you get into the fine arts they're extremely low paid yeah. until you make a bit we potentially now see those in demand perhaps the salaries for those rising well we will see the salaries rising but more we'll see the skills that those people have developed being deployed in different ways mm. so you look at a company like apple most of the real value they've created is in their design function the ability mm. to design stuff that is beautiful that yeah. is aesthetically extraordinary and so we're seeing in organizations particularly in the tech sector already some of the most highly paid roles are actually roles that 20 or 30 years ago didn't exist they were very creative roles yeah. so we'll see those sort of skills valuable not just in the creative arts but bringing those into the mainstream workplace mm. and i think that's what's really encouraging is we've often seen the creative arts at the periphery like if you're if you're, if you're yes. an artsy type do that because yeah. it's your passion but be serious and be an accountant or a yes. lawyer or whatever in the future it'll be actually using those creative skills in the mainstream workforce that's where you're edge will be. What are some of the skills people should really be equipping themselves with and experience yep. that will, will last the test of time? Well, any of the people stuff, so relating to people, negotiation, persuasion, influence are important. In fact, mm. the advice I give to parents who have got teenage kids and I say, you know what, what should my child do if they want to be ready for the future? I often say, get them to learn how to sell something difficult to sell. Get them in a sales role because sales is the best. It teaches you problem solving, dealing with people, dealing with rejection, resilience, grit, tenacity, all the stuff that actually those are the skills that will be necessary. So I would say get into a role or into a – even if it's a profession that may not be where you want to end up, but it will be something that builds some of those soft skills because that's where the game's going to be at. Another trend you speak about is the empowered consumer. Yeah. And this is a really interesting conversation as well. And obviously technology is playing a massive role in empowering us as consumers. Yeah. But interested in your viewpoint, how does this trend translate to the employment marketplace? How are candidates today different to what they were, I don't know, five, ten years ago? Yeah, well, candidates have power and they've got power for a few reasons. One of them is a purely supply and demand 
dynamic, which is the fact that we've got unemployment at, I think, last month that fell to a low that was lower than we've seen yeah. since 2012. And so the, the sense is you've got a lot of roles that aren't being filled, and, and in many cases that gives candidates a degree of choice, which gives them power. The other thing we've got is candidates that can um, have more information than ever before when they go into an interview. I mean, they can do mm. really solid research in a company, and not just what you know, you say about yourself being an employer of choice, but they can jump onto, you know, for instance, Seek's company review functional, actually mm. do research and find, well, what's the culture really like? What yeah. are the, what are, what's, what's it like to actually work there in unsolicited feedback from those who are already in the organization? So that gives a degree of power coming into the discussion that we've never seen before. Yeah. And so I think that those are the two big sources of power, that you've got candidates with more options and they've got more information than ever before. And I think that's tipped the scales of power in a, in a healthy way for candidates. And the challenge for organisations is a, mm. it's a new normal they've got to now learn to deal with. When I think about that phenomenon of, of candidates being able to really get from the horse's mouth, what yeah. is the culture like in an organisation? Yep. It, it kind of takes me back to restaurants, what they were facing five or six years ago uh, when yeah. the Urban Spoons of the world came That's out. Right. When actually you yep. can have as nice a website as you want, but we've yep. got a lot of reviews here from That's people exactly that have actually it. eaten there. What does this mean for employers, though, now that candidates have a lot more information at their disposal? Well, it means to be an employer of choice is not just about winning an award or others saying that you are one. It's got to be a, a market-driven thing. In other words, your, your people say you're an employer of choice. And it's, you, your employer brand matters more than ever before. And the fact is, um, employees have a voice. That voice on review sites and the like means that you can never take them for granted. Mm. And if there's any sense in an organization of a disconnect between, the, say, the stated values or the stated culture and the real values or the real culture, that dissonance will come to the surface very quickly. So your employer value proposition really must... Oh, talk yeah. to um, what's important for candidates, but also yeah. absolutely be truthful. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah. Michael McQueen is a trend forecaster, international best-selling author, an expert on the emerging trends shaping the future world of work. He joined me at the desk at the Seek Future Series event in Melbourne. Another trend, the next generation. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and look, I, I choose my words reasonably carefully here, <laughs> yeah. but you know, when we talk about millennials, if you like, you know, there is that perception of lazy entitlement, et cetera, yep. that's out there. But yep. our workforce is now made up of, you know, many different generations yeah. at the moment, yep. currently all cohabitating. How are the needs and wants of the younger generation, you know, really set out and establish their worth in the workplace as well? Well, as a generation, there's lots of great stuff. And we mm. often don't hear the good news. We hear the bad news. Um, yeah. And the good news is that they are, you know, by the way they've been raised, adaptable, flexible, confident. They challenge the status quo. They'll challenge their boss and go, but what do you mean by that? And why would we do that? And, and things that, you know, a lot of older generations go, when I was 23, I would never have said that to my boss. But they do. There's a, there's a boldness which can be a, a, a gift to an organization because it means they speak truth to power. Mm. And that can be a great source of innovation because they'll, they'll suggest things or challenge ideas that previous generations may have gone along with, even though it may have been a dumb idea. And yeah. so there's some great things that can come with that. Some of the challenges, though, and I, I see them daily working with organizations, mental health issues are huge. Okay. Um, issues around resilience, tenacity. Also, the fact they can often seem um, a bit high maintenance, that idea mm. of always needing to be thanked and praised and told they're doing great and you're yeah. amazing and you're awesome. And part of that harks back to the fact they've been raised in an era we call the era of self-esteem. They've been told their whole lives, you're special, you're amazing, you're magnificent. They've been given this constant praise and validation deliberately by parents and school systems mm. when every runner in the race got a ribbon, you know, all yeah. this sort of stuff. And then they come into the workplace and they expect it to be the same. And you have a performance review or discussion with a, a, a young person who seems really confident and you yeah. just say, hey, you know what, 
you need to really lift your game in this area. And suddenly this really confident young person is dissolved into tears. And so some of those issues are important to, to get across as to how you deal with that. And you mentioned resilience before. Yeah. Is, is that really what's underpinning that? why that's so important? Yeah, a lot of that yeah. is. So um, if you look at the research, and Martin Seligman's work is interesting here, a woman named Professor Jean Twenge from San Diego State University as well. These are two researchers that looked at the flow-on effects of the self-esteem movement. And what's come to the fore is that because you've got a generation who've, who've been raised without dysphoria. So dysphoria is any of those emotions that are just the darker sides of life, like disappointment and frustration and mm. boredom. When we've been deliberate in our desire to remove those things from this generation's experience, like we've tried to essentially make life easy for them. And that was the desire of parents. Yeah. What we've robbed them of are some of those some of those moments, those situations where they built character, resilience, grit. Um, and so the challenge is you may need to coach young people through that and actually allow them to develop through a bit of the school of hard knocks mm. some of those character skills because it may not come naturally to them because of the era they've been raised in. And you mentioned the unemployment rate and, and mm. skills that are in demand. Very much a lot of them are in demand. I guess the other thing for employees to watch out is that if they don't like it, they're quite likely to move to another organisation right. and yep. simply start over again. Yeah, and that's the, I mean, that, that can be a challenge to work with. But if you're not attracting the talented members of this cohort, your competitors are. Lovely segue onto competitors. Yep. Uh, and let's talk about the competition um, centred around talent as well. So there's an increased need for skilled candidates and more competition for the top talent. What is that currently meaning for employers at the moment? Well, for employers, what it means is that you're, you are competing with a talent pool that doesn't just um, isolate itself to your industry. So if you're looking, for instance, for... I don't know, software engineers, you're not just competing with other technology companies, you're competing with a whole pile of other people who are now attracting software engineers. I mean, the number of organisations I've worked with who are hiring data analytics people who've yeah. never had a business in that for the last however many years and all of a sudden they're interested. So you're in these roles where you're now competing with people, not just your your natural competitors, but people way outside your industry for the same talent. Yes, That really ramps up the pressure. Um, the other thing is we're competing with unusual sources of competition for talent and labour. For instance, you've got things like, and we look at the legal sector again, Lawyers on Demand and Lexu and some of these services that are like lawyer matching services. Mm. So if you're an organisation rather than hiring a lawyer, you can just get a lawyer on a piecemeal basis for projects, a bit like you would get a graphic designer on Upwork. Mm. And that now means you've got a bunch of lawyers out there who want flexibility and are essentially putting themselves up on these lawyer-matching websites and saying, well, I don't want a full-time job. I actually just want to go straight direct to market through these websites and just do piecemeal work. And so that means you're taking a whole lot of the talent pool out of this traditional labour market, and that's become a viable option in the last few years. So that's another form of competition too. Uh, you mentioned law there, but are there any other industries where you're sort of seeing a similar similar shift as well with yeah. people? Well, a lot of the creative creative industries yep. are, um, and I mean, the reality is that's been going on for years with, with Upwork and Odesk in its former version, the rest of them. We're also seeing it some, in some of the lower skilled roles as well. For instance, Uber released a thing called Uber Pro uh, about 10 days ago. Okay. And Uber Pro is the um, this, this system that once you've been an Uber driver for long enough, you start to qualify with points for certain perks and benefits. Some of those perks and benefits, like free university education in America, free college education, are the sort of things you might normally get a full-time job to enjoy. Mm. Now you can be an Uber driver and have the same sort of perks or benefits you get you know, that you would get in a normal organisation working full-time. So suddenly you've got a portion of the marketplace to go, well, why would I get a full-time job if I can be an Uber driver, call my own shots and still have some of the safety net benefits I would otherwise get? So again, that's, a, that's now a comp competitive factor that it wasn't years ago. Mm. Fascinating insights. Uh, obviously, a lot of the audience listening here today probably really, really keen. If you had one bit of advice to prepare them for the future of work, what would it, what would it be? I think the most important advice is is think, look at your mindset. And the encouragement I give to clients is the two most important mindsets or postures for agility or responsiveness, and they both start with H, hunger and humility. 
Like the moment you lose those two things, yeah. the moment you become, I mean, the opposite of those things, complacent or arrogant, like you think I've figured it all out, I'm set, I'm sorted, you know, because the old saying is true, the moment you think you've made it, you've passed it. Yes. You know, like how, <laughs> how, how do you preserve that hunger and humility so you stay in a learning posture, always looking for what's the next thing, a new way of doing stuff? The moment you lose that, that's the danger zone. So I think that's the most important stuff um, if you're going to be ready for the future. Great. Michael McQueen, thank you so much for popping by Talent Talks and having a chat with us. Will do. Thanks so much. That was Michael McQueen, best-selling author and trend forecaster. To hear more Talent Talks, head to insightsresources.seek.com.au. I'm Hamish Coots.